I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Kaylee, also known as Coach Kales. So I am a longtime fitness professional, wellness coach, and multi-certified nutritionist out here on the beautiful West Coast. Well, it's been a little bit not so beautiful lately, but it's about to be super freaking beautiful because it's been raining so much. We're actually going to get some like serious flowerage. So I'm very excited for that, except for the allergies, which are already killing me. So I might regret saying that. (laughs) So if you are new here, welcome to the podcast. This is Rebel Wellness, and it's a space for women around the world who desire a well-rounded understanding over their personal health and who want to fight the noise of today's diet culture because they want to access their best health, strength, and just life altogether. Us rebels don't stand in line. We ask questions. We find out what actually works for us. So nourishing our minds, bodies, and souls truly matters to us. And that's what I hope you find through these conversations I have with you on this podcast. It is now April, and it's kind of a month that is about growth in various ways. As we head into the April series, I decided that I wanted to pick kind of one word for this month because of spring, but also because it's like a gigantic visual metaphor for coming out of challenges like a cold stormy winter and blossoming into an extraordinary new form, something completely unlike what was previously here several months ago. In a lot of places, like the Pacific Northwest where I used to live, it still kind of looks like that. But April is kind of just the national solstice change for spring. Thus, I wanted to make this entire month about growth for a lot of different reasons. Anything from today, we're going to actually talk more about personal growth. But I also want to kind of bring into growth from the fitness side as well as um, nutrition topics. So April is going to be a fun month in the sense of a underlying theme of growth. So I hope you enjoy it. I also figured what is more related to this than kicking off the month with some key moments of my own personal life story and what challenged me to grow the most. I'm going to actually share in today's episode all about some of the pivotal moments in my life that really challenged me to kind of go outer body and grow to new levels that I had never expected before. So let's dive into all the bits that make me, well, me, (laughs) maybe not all the bits, but as much of the meat and potatoes as possible. So I first want to kind of set the tone that I'm going to share a more in-depth looking into who I am, not only as a coach, but like as a human as well. Um, It was a really long, bumpy road getting to where I am now, and I still have so much I continue to grow through, learn, improve, savor, experience, etc. But I'm super grateful for my journey thus far. I'm very proud of myself for how much I challenged all these different kind of stereotypical scenarios in my life that I made the really unsexy, uncomfortable decision that ended up compounding to get me to where I am now. I don't have a perfect life and I'm not at where I really truly desire to be. But at the same time, I think it's really important for a lot of us to recognize like how much we've gone through, where we're at now, 
the person we are, how many different ways we've grown and changed over the years and became this like different, robust, beautiful version of ourselves, hopefully. <laughs> and if you don't feel like that resonates with you, just know that holding on to shame or not feeling like you've made the right choices. Like I have this weird, it's propensity, the right word, <laughs> to always kind of do the not popular thing. Um, not to be a hipster about it, more in the sense that when other kids wanted to do something sketchy in like elementary school, it's very easy for me to be confident and self-aware to say like, I'm good, I'm not going to do that and not really worry about other kids' opinions of me for not like assimilating. I know this isn't the case for everyone and I really want to set the tone that I just want to encourage you to hopefully learn more about me, understand me a little bit more as your host, as your coach, if you're my client listening right now, and just know that we all have our own different journeys. What you choose to do with the knowledge or experience I share with you today is up to you, but I hope that it's all positive. So as much as I love to give the full backstory on my upbringing and story altogether, I'm going to kind of keep most of my life story condensed so that I can talk a little bit more about the specific moments in my life that were kind of pivotal for me. So for those who don't know me, I am what we call a hapa. <laughs> so I am half Caucasian and half Pacific Islander and Asian. When I was born, I was literally so different <laughs> looking than my mother. My mother is like blonde hair, blue eyed, freckles, very fair skin. Totally looks nothing like me, which I mean is very common, especially nowadays. There's so many of us hoppas, especially like the half Asian, half white. But back in the early 90s, it was still kind of less common, even to the extent that one time when my mom was shopping, a lady... <laughs> At Nordstrom's, I believe, a lady came up to her and was like, oh, that's so good of you. You adopted. And she's like, these are my daughters. Because <laughs> my sister and I looked like, and I have a sister, I have an older sister. Um, shout out to Alana. Hello, hello. That We just look so like violently Asian, especially as babies. <laughs> I think we only look less Asian as adults because we use like makeup now, like to accent our features more. I don't really know, but Anyways, that was a little backstory on how I am, the way I am, or what I look like. I'm Filipino-Japanese dominantly, um, with mixtures of Pacific Islander in there on my dad's side and my mother's side, German-Norwegian um, dominantly. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton of <laughs> features from my mom. But uh, anyways, getting away from that side, I have to like answer that question constantly because everybody's like, what are you? Question mark like constantly. So that is what I am. I identify though more with my father and my father's family. And this is simply because quite honestly, um, when I was younger, my biological mother got into substances, um, in particular methamphetamine, um, cocaine, and then methamphetamine and, um, probably other things too, but <laughs> that's all I really know at the moment. But she got into hard drugs and it essentially completely pulled her away from us. My dad got full custody to take care of us. And like from I was the age of three, I believe, I just basically was with him and my grandmother, my dad's mom and my grandfather, my dad's dad, most pretty much all of my young life. I mean, my whole life in general. Um, I would see my Caucasian side of my family on holidays 
Um, for a little while, I would see my mother, but then she was completely absent for a large majority of my life. It's not really uncomfortable for me to talk about anymore because I've had to do a ton of uh, healing and growing about it. But um, it is something that shaped me. And really, I think it's a lot to do with why a lot of people are like, oh, you're so mature for your age. And I'm like, yeah, unfortunately, I think it's because I was one of those little trauma children that uh, had to grow up too fast too soon. But um, not in a bad way, though, because I absolutely love my dad and my dad's family. Like, I can't imagine having life any other way, really. Like, growing up, we weren't always the perfect communicators or things like that. But especially with my grandmother and my nanny, the person that everybody knows was a huge reason that brought me back to California. Um, A lot of who I am today basically is because of them, because they had shown me what a lot of unconditional love, how to have grit, how to kind of be resilient. All of that came from them. And I literally wouldn't have it any other way. A lot of people will ask me who, uh, what side do I identify with? And in most of my life with my upbringing, especially because my dad was never really um, exclusive to my mother's side of the family, I would say that in my head, it was just like I existed as I was. I've always been a half kid, like a halfie. And I guess because I was raised by the Asian side of my family and spent a lot of time with the extended Filipino side of my family, um, I just default to my Asian side being my identity because it's pretty much all I've ever known and what I've been around. But my family did a really great job of exposing me to a lot of different cultures and, you know, everything like that. So in my mind, I didn't really, I didn't feel like only Asians were my people, if that makes sense. I don't know if I had an interesting upbringing by being half and half that like I was kind of included in multiple groups, I guess. So that's my own personal experience in that kind of setting. But that's my general upbringing. I was mostly raised by my grandmother and my father. My grandfather, this is kind of a segue, good segue into the next part. My grandfather passed when I was um, about to start fourth grade. I remember because I will literally never forget it happening. I think the day before fourth grade was going to start. And I don't know if it was like a part of me not really understanding the gravity of him passing. Um, I was, you know, what fourth grade would be like six or seven, um, maybe eight. And I just remember being so distracted, like trying to, I think I tried to distract myself by like school and the excitement of, you know, first day of school, got my new shoes, got my new backpack. I wanted to rock it, wanted to see all my friends. Um, It didn't settle for me that he had passed and like what it meant for my family until probably like four or five years later. I mean, obviously it was impactful because everything changed in our day-to-day life, but it just didn't, I didn't work on it or experience the growth and such that came from losing somebody so close to me and my family until like later in life, easily in middle school and high school when I started to become a little more like emotionally intelligent, I guess. But he passed from type 2 diabetes and he was a chef. I learned a lot of my love for cooking from him. And um, I remember hearing like my grandmother and my dad and like everybody always being like, can you just get a hang on yourself with your food? Like yada, yada. And 
as an adult and a nutritionist <laughs> now, I understand that he actually had an eating disorder um, more in the sense that he just couldn't stop eating comfort foods and to not really put his background and life story on public display here. Something never was resolved for him in his life. And I think observationally as an adult, I understand it now that that was so much that he just couldn't, he couldn't like control himself with food, so to speak. But that meant that he got type two diabetes, couldn't get it under control and passed early when I was young, when I was in fourth grade. As I got older, I started to realize how it impacted me. And I understood that um, I started hearing more about how you can prevent diabetes from happening if you just keep your lifestyle in check. And it made me really frustrated and angry at first because I was just like, why wouldn't he just stop eating bad? You know, all those different things. Um, And then I later came to the understanding that my personal opinion, everything in life happens for a reason. And I don't really feel like (laughs) it was something that I can be mad at him for. And so for me, I just understood that that was the case for what he knew and how he felt and like the tools he had in his mental health toolkit (laughs) of understanding like what was uh, more important. And it wasn't really about he didn't love us or it wasn't worth it, you know. Same kind of thing that I used to juggle with with my biological mom because a long, a long period of time I was pissed off because I was just like, why can't she just stop doing the drugs? Why wouldn't she want to be a mom to us? You know, all that kind of stuff. And then I later, like in college, did a project on um, narcotics and discovered that it's not quite so easy to come off methamphetamines, um, especially after just the second time doing it. So understanding the science behind it helped me understand that these people that get addicted to these substances are really fighting their own physiology, changing the moment they do it. Um, It's not like, I'm just going to casually do meth, you know. And so anyways, food is a drug too. And this is where my grandfather, unfortunately, was uh, a victim to it. And I tell this part of the story because it honestly was the main reason I got into being a um, nutritionist and health coach and going to get my degree in nutrition and fitness. Um, Less fitness wasn't entirely inspired by him. That came later for me, but um, it was just the main reason I went into health in general, because as I got older, I became a little bit not obsessed, but just passionate about, um, anything in the world of health. And my sister can definitely attest to the years where I was that annoying little preteen being like, well, this health magazine says this (laughs) or whatever. Um, And just those were times where I was starting to learn that I loved researching and understanding things, but I did not understand yet that sources matter. Uh, But those were good times. So kind of finishing out that timeline to where I am now. Um, Essentially, after high school, I went to junior college to get a two-year degree to start off and transfer because I knew that undergrad classes are going to be the same essentially almost everywhere, at least for my major. And um, I wanted to save money. And it was It was and still is extremely expensive to move out in the Bay Area. I was born and raised in south south of San Jose area in California. And 
it was nearly impossible for you to move out on your own, especially if like you just graduated high school and went into college in those like 2010s, which is when I was <laughs> going to college. So it just made sense for me to live with my parents for the first few years and um, just complete all, a lot of my undergrad courses somewhere that was way more affordable than what a lot of my friends were spending at big four years. So easy for me to make that decision. And um, it was also nice because I got to kind of really narrow down exactly what I wanted to do. Because at first I was thinking I'd just go for business. Then I discovered, oh, I can actually major in nutrition. And then later it became that I couldn't, many schools didn't have nutrition only programs. It was usually um, kinesiology with an emphasis in nutrition. So hence where I later got my degree from an OHSU-PSU combo course in uh, Portland, Oregon. And that's where I went afterwards. I transferred up to Portland because it was more affordable, exciting city. I would say, honestly, the peak time for Portland was definitely like 2012 all the way to like 2019. (laughs) And so... Um, I think those are the best glory days in Portland. I think there's probably another season to come, but from living there in those years, um, they were just some fantastic times up there. I also probably am just biased because it was a fun time in my life as most of my 20s were spent up there. So that brings me though into kind of the first moment I really wanted to talk about um, in the sense of specific growth that I experienced. So Little Kales was, I think just turned 21. Yeah, I had just turned 21 when I moved to Portland. Um, Something important to note, actually, before I get into this was my dual passion in life is culinary. I love everything about food, true food, not I put a piece of cake on my milkshake kind of foodie. (laughs) I feel like those kind of foodies are their own category. And it's more gluttonous than actual foodie. Uh, Not to like throw shade, but um, I could literally get off watching Chef's Table B-roll, like just love, I love it all. It's amazing. And I actually worked in restaurants. I mean, I've been working. I was, I had to get a job because I was one of those 07, 08 babies who were stuck in the horrible recession of the time. And I had to pay for my own things because my family became strapped, like many families, especially in California during this time. And so I had to start working at the ripe age of 14 and a half. I actually had to go to the library to get a specific permit that allowed me to be underage and start working. Um, So I've been working my entire life. There's only been one three month stint of where I didn't have a job. And that was when I moved to Portland (laughs) when I was transitioning. Um, But most of my life, I actually worked in restaurants and I was um, in that scene. I worked all the way up to a Michelin restaurant in Saratoga Um, and Michelin dining. If you don't know what it is, it's fine dining. It's like five star dining. It's all about it's about everything. Honestly, it's the atmosphere. It's the quality of the food. It's the plating. It's the service. It's everything. And I was super in love with this world. It was something that I thought I really wanted to do. And I worked in what we call front of house, which is service staff. And um, I loved it. However, I also really loved pastry. I wanted to do pastry. That was like the thing. I thought for sure I could go and just take that passion I had for 
culinary and pastry arts and just go to um, cooking school and develop that. I became good friends with some of the staff in the kitchen. Um, Shout out to my buddy Lou, who was actually a pastry chef at the time at this restaurant, but he later just, he kind of did everything. He's amazing. Um, But everybody kept telling me, uh, don't go to culinary school, just stage, which means like shadow um, your favorite chef and see if you can work for them for free for a while and learn the tips and tricks, etc. I watched kind of just how everything went down in the restaurant world, like how long they had to work. Like these cooks would come in around 11 or noon and start prepping, cook for the service, and then clean up their entire station at night. They were nearly there from noon to midnight, like almost always. And they were paid minimum wage, sometimes slightly over, because it was basically like them getting experience to kind of go work for other restaurants or things like that. And this was at Michelin level. Half the cooks were not being paid any sort of prestigious pay. It might have changed by now, but as far as I've heard, not so much. And so this is this was like one of the main realizations I had where I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do culinary because I don't want to lose my passion for food. <laughs> and also I don't want to struggle with insane hours and burnout lifestyle. All power to everybody who does that, especially everyone who's still doing culinary and kicking butt or grinding, etc. But I decided for myself that wasn't the route I wanted to take. So coming back to that pivotal moment, <laughs> moving to Portland to finish my degree and start the new career path was insane. It was one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. And I totally get why a lot of people never take risks that big at all. Because like everything, literally everything in my life changed in a matter of days of moving into my condo in Portland. I left my family. I left my surroundings. I left my dog. I left a a really great job, a really great paying at the time when I was younger um, job at one of a top positions, you know, and I left my bank, I left my dentist, I left my hairdresser, like, we don't realize how much we really are shifting away from when we move that all contributes to like, our mental safety. So I had no idea how exhausting that whole shift would be. And at the time I had moved up with a long term boyfriend of mine, and we did not live together. Um, I lived on my own still, which ended up being the right thing, <laughs> but I will, I'll talk about more of that later. So the discomfort of just kind of up and leaving, I almost had to, I remember hardly thinking that much about it. I had visited Portland like two times before, instead of going to prom my senior year, I did a road trip up to Portland and Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, that was great. <laughs> 10 out of 10 recommend because I heard our prom wasn't very good. Um, but I had been there a few times. I knew I loved the greenery. I knew I like really enjoyed the hiking, the water, the mountains, the food. Like the food scene up in Portland is still very great and was. It was kind of the cornerstone. Unfortunately, they don't even have like the food cart corners anymore because big buildings have bought it out and all that stuff. So hence why I said until 2019. <laughs> was the peak of the quirkiness of Portland. Um, But I would say that nothing could be more humbling to a human than completely removing it 
or them, not it. I'm not an it. Well, I'm kind of an it, but uh, removing them from everything they know and everything that they love and being like, here's something new, figure it out on your own, like all by yourself, the right page of 21. So um, that honestly forced me to grow in so many, so many angles that I didn't even think about. And I couldn't, I wasn't just like calling my stepmom or my dad being like, how do I get a new bank? You know, I had to just do it all on my own. Like as things came up, I just figured it out. And so being thrown in the fire, you really understand how to take the heat. That's for sure. But during those first three months of moving where I stayed unemployed, half because I was so exhausted (laughs) by the speed and chaos of Michelin dining that I just kind of needed a mental break. And I also took the time to determine, did I want to continue culinary or did I want to start bringing myself into the fitness industry, which I knew was going to be my new career path because it was something I was passionate about, but I I wouldn't lose my passion for it because I love to teach. And it's something that is kind of um, more, more career oriented in the sense of there's so many reasons people need professionals in the health sphere, because there's one thing that everybody has, and that's their health. There's one thing that everybody is starting to lose, and that's their health. So it was almost kind of like insurance for the longevity of my career and different angles I could go through. There's a bunch of opportunities that can come from simply getting a degree in health and all of that. So I essentially decided it's time to shift towards making more skill sets in this specific industry so that I could start, you know, making, making a name for myself or figuring it out, (laughs) you know? Um, And at this point too, do note, I did not really know I would be an entrepreneur. My father is an entrepreneur and I always watched the um, peaks and valleys of doing that for your career or for your life. And while he still worked oftentimes a lot for other companies, um, he had many times where he had his own businesses and he kind of operated like a contractor a lot of times too. So I saw the chunks of unemployment or the lack of significant pay all the way to fantastic pay, lots of flexibility. You know, I was always raised around that entrepreneurial kind of spirit, but um, and the confidence that you have to have that comes with it. But I didn't anticipate, especially not when I started at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak, for uh, f- the fitness industry. And so I just kind of wanted to add that because it wasn't like I knew right out the gate that I wanted to run my own business. All right, so where are my LA fitness people at? (laughs) So um, it's actually called City Sports in California, which is kind of hilarious because I guess people in Northern California did not really want to go to a gym called LA Fitness. So fun fact, if you didn't already know that, City Sports is LA Fitness. Um, But so I decided to completely humble myself and start from the bottom and work at LA Fitness because my uh, resume had nothing to do with the fitness industry. And I knew I needed to get my foot in the door to start learning and see, is this actually something I wanted to do? So this was a huge part of the growth for me as well. This was 
probably a separate pivotal moment, honestly. Um, like moving somewhere completely new for the first time in my life was the first one, but now starting this whole new job in a whole new industry I was completely unfamiliar with was really freaking scary. So if you've ever been in those shoes or you're thinking about completely changing industries and you feel like I'm going to be an idiot, I feel like I'm too old to do this or something like that, cut yourself some grace and you literally, everyone has to start from somewhere. That's just kind of the most generic phrase, but it's really true. So I became a cute little front desk girl at LA Fitness. (laughs) Those were some really interesting times because the pay was horrendous. The hours were long. You were standing almost half the time. And a lot of the times you got pulled into kids club. And that meant literally majority of the time you were holding people's crying babies and avoiding all the little sick kids because parents like to bring their sick kids so they can get their gym session in. I will never understand why. I don't. I don't know. But if you've done, if you've been a part of a gym's kids club, you're like, yeah, I feel you, girl. That stuff sucks. <laughs> so I, it was a great learning experience for me. And I met some really cool people. And it also worked out well because I had set in my mind, I'm going to be a front desk chick until I get my certification. Then I'm going to be a trainer. Then I'm going to work as a trainer. And this was literally my plan. I'm going to work as a trainer for a year. And when I hit my one year mark, I'm going to decide, do I want to be a trainer? Do I want to continue this? Or, you know, do I want to go back into culinary? And being a trainer at the gym, it worked out that everybody knew my face from being a front desk girl. That one I transitioned into training, it was great. It was awesome clout (laughs) because everybody knew who I was already, um, or a lot of people did. And um, I learned that I got to work with basically gen pop, so general population. I got to work with all different kinds of people and different walks of life. And I knew that I would take this experience and kind of figure out which niche I like to work with. However, (laughs) nearly 10 years later, I still like to work with gen pop (laughs) because part of me just loves, again, all different walks of life. I have literally right now an 80-year-old client who... It walks with a cane and loves to paddleboard and we got him strong enough to paddleboard again. And I have all the way down to a 21 year old who's in college, you know, there's so many different people and being a trainer, especially like not having had any experience in any of it. I loved the big box kind of environment. <laughs> That's the only time I'll ever say that is just because you do get the opportunity to be exposed to a ton of different people. So if you are somebody who's like thinking about figuring out, do you want to train? Do you want to, you know, any of that stuff and figuring out a niche, I would say that LA Fitness, 24 Hour Fitness, etc., definitely does the job. And it also teaches you whether or not you can handle complicated personality types and things like that. Um, But I truly like, loved the people I got to meet while I worked at LA Fitness and I made one of my best friends there and um, shout out to Isaac. (laughs) And I met a lot of other great people that I'm still very good friends with today. And um, some of them went off to continue being also fantastic trainers, um, professional trainers, and others just kind of filtered out into life and did other things. But with all of that mentioned, I reminisce on this moment because 
once I hit that one year mark that I was like, okay, I'm not staying here longer than that because again, the pay is horrid. <laughs> and I had a full schedule. Like I would work, they had the option of 30 second or 30 minute sessions. And I was so stacked in the evenings. I would have sometimes anywhere from nine to 12, 30 minute sessions stacked back to back from like right after lunch. I'd also sometimes have morning sessions, like late morning. Those days were insanely long. And I think all in all, that year of training, I made $13,000. That's it. <laughs> and I was working like a dog. So I would also say adjust your expectations for the pay at big box gyms, even though if you're a client to a trainer at one of the big box gyms, just know that what you're paying the company, the trainer is literally seeing like maybe 15 to 25% of that, if that. So I know 24 hour fitness has a different pay scale, but for the trainers at LA Fitness, they just really don't see, they don't see anything. <laughs> so it's pretty burnout. Um, so if you ever wondered why trainers don't last at those gyms a long time, that is why. But that's also why I set a one year goal to leave. And I was totally torn because I was like, I don't want to go to another different company to be a trainer. And I have so many skills in culinary, I can just go do that and make better money with more flexible kind of hours and finish my degree because this was lined up with my final, I think my final two terms for my senior year of college. One of my buddies already worked out and I think he already was a private trainer at a, um, I don't think he was at this gym though specifically, I'm pretty sure he wasn't, but he would just work out at a gym that was this really beautiful, medium-sized well-built out um, contractor space. So it was basically a gym that was built around different contracting fitness professionals. It was also formatted like a membership gym too, but it was much smaller. So I decided to reach out to him and ask like, hey, like, do you know who I can get in contact with so I could check out that gym you were telling me about as far as I'm thinking about being a private contractor uh, trainer? And he got me in contact with him. And um, if you don't know already what I'm talking about, if you don't know me, which a lot of you don't, <laughs> um, I was sold immediately when I went to this the gym. And the gym at the time was called Fit Academy. And um, the man that got me into all of it because he gave me the chance is Jared. So shout out to Jared Cogswell. You were definitely a huge entrance into what it truly meant to become a fitness professional. And I was really bummed when years down the road, Fit Academy didn't necessarily work out as it hit a lot of financial hard times. Because if you don't know either, gyms are really expensive to upkeep. You have to have great equipment that lasts, that can be used by a bunch of different people. So people who treat it well and people who don't treat it well. And you also have to upkeep it. You also have to provide things like a good water fountain or water towels, you know, especially if you're trying to be a boutique gym or a training studio. And then there's power and then there's showers and then there's, you know, bathrooms. Um, there's so much that goes into a uh, fitness facilities that 
I know it's easy to bulk at a $35 or $40 a month fee, but by and large, these gyms are a lot to maintain, um, a lot more than a lot of people might realize. So anyways, unfortunately, um, I think after about two years, uh, I started my business at Fit Academy and I learned from so many trainers that were like seasoned trainers, like been fitness professionals, independent, have their own businesses for like anywhere from two years all the way up to 20 years. And this was so pivotal for me in the way that I was the little fish in a big pond. Again, it put me so far out of my comfort zone because I just didn't feel like I was worthy, I guess, at first because I was like, um, yeah, these people are charging like 120 an hour. I can't imagine, <laughs> you know, it was back in those days. And, um, but it forced me to kind of call myself out on my own bullshit and realize that like, look, if you want to do this for your life and a career, you're going to have to give it your all. You're going to have to level up. You're going to have to actually do the adult things. (laughs) You can't just kind of write everybody's uh, monthly fees down in your planner every day and (laughs) try to keep track of things. Like you have to do spreadsheets. You have to do taxes differently. You have to become an LLC, you know, so many different things. And I would say um, there's, I think Fit Academy is one of my most fondest times in my training um, kind of journey while I was up in Portland, Oregon, because it was um, where I met some of the, like my lifelong closest friends and at times business partner, shout out to Sasha. You're going to hear from her on the podcast in the future, near future. And so many other amazing people, um, that I just am so glad to have met them through that. All the different experiences that I had to come to terms with my own shortcomings and learn how to be better because there is nothing like needing to learn how to retain clients and also um, operate as a professional business and kind of hold your ground when people take advantage of canceling on you all the time or things like that. Totally a moment of growth. And I just remember being like, okay, time to Google how to start a real business. (laughs) The moment that I met Jared and he was like, yep, I'd really, I love your enthusiasm. I'd like you to work at my gym and we're not even adding trainers right now, but I would like to add you to the team. And uh, so that was a great time that didn't feel, it was very scary. It was very scary in the moment, but it all worked out. And it literally was the main reason that I am where I am today. The the part about uh, Fit Academy closing is kind of another moment of growth. Being a private contractor in the fitness world is tough because it's not so easy to start your own studio and be profitable consistently because Training is such a ebb and flow kind of space in the first place. So unfortunately, what myself and a lot of my colleagues dealt with often um, was the challenge of when a gym closes or when a gym sells to a different owner and they don't want contractors anymore or something like that. That means you lose the entire place of your business. And so that happened, I think, nearly five to six times in my fitness career up in Portland. And within the matter of six to seven years. So as you can see, it happens a lot. 
especially one of the years I've, I'm so grateful my clients were so uh, loyal and flexible because it was like new gym space, three months go by, new gym space, three more months go by, <laughs> you know, that it's just, it's so tough because you just, you deal with so many different personalities, people who own gyms, they're pretty tight lipped about what's really going on. And unfortunately, they just kind of sandbag their contractors when they decide to close. That has happened basically every single time at majority of the fitness studios I've worked at, if I didn't already leave on my own. If you are somebody who uh, is thinking about becoming a private contractor for any industry, just understand there is so much fluidity that comes with it. And this was a huge moment of growth for me because it showed how much resilience I had, like having to be on my toes constantly about where can I still take care of my clients? Where is safe enough for them to go and not as far out of the way? to kind of protect this time that we always carve out to have to focus on their health. You know what I mean? So it really tested me as a business owner. It kind of proved to me that I always was the most passionate about figuring this out, not just for myself and my income, but because I was so concerned with helping others and having the impact that they re not relied on, some relied on, but that they desired that time for themselves to focus on whatever we would work through. Because a lot of my clients know me as like a strength therapist, in a sense, <laughs> where we get to not only make them stronger and work out and stretch and whatever, calm their nervous system or spike their nervous system, but we also get to talk through a lot of stuff. And um, that's where I think a lot of people love being coaches is because you get to build these really uh, rich relationships that are honestly what kept me so passionate about staying in the industry and continuing to try this gym and then try that gym. But um, it really is important to know that no matter what obstacles are going to be in your way, if you are passionate enough and you have enough um, grit, you'll be able to figure something out and find a solution and keep moving forward. And oftentimes do better than you ever were doing before. And that's really what happened for me is it kept leveling me up from a spiritual level and as a business owner, because it really taught me that I'm the common denominator for all of it. I can take care of anything. I just have to figure out how to be flexible and kind of bend with the waves. Okay, now kind of coming into like the final bit of um, moments of growth that I experienced that I kind of um, have marked in my mind as a uh, really significant to talk about is uh, when I moved up to Portland, like I had mentioned before, I was in a very long-term relationship. It was pretty serious. And uh, it was always one of those kind of relationships where it felt like everybody externally loved us together so much that it felt like I just, we just, we both individually and together felt like we just needed to make it happen, even though both of us were growing apart and going in different directions. When we finally broke up, um, I would say, I think it was roughly two years after moving to Portland, I was like 
this whole kind of comfort umbilical cord <laughs> was cut because he was a few years older than me. He was, so he was kind of in a different maturity zone as far as like what jobs he had and, you know, all the different stuff. And he also took on a lot of things where he would always want to pay for the dinners, you know, all this kind of stuff. And while I still like paid for several of my own things, I didn't realize how much I relied on him and kind of didn't take the time to build a good fallback <laughs> until it was over. And, um, and not in the way where I was like relying on him financially insanely, but more that I just neglected understanding where I currently stood and um, didn't really prepare for all of that. So when we finally broke up, um, I had to, I was also towards the end of finishing college, which was um, then deciding do I go all in on my business as an entrepreneur full-time or do I go try to find a job with somebody else? All of those decisions at once and removing a significant part of the of my life really forced me to become extremely uh, self-sufficient, I would say. And it was so uncomfortable because I didn't feel like I wanted to kind of figure out how to do this all on my own leaving that relationship forced me to face my own demons and kind of sit with them and then tell them like, thanks, bye. And I was able to reconnect with myself in ways that I never imagined. I had so many moments on solo hikes, solo drives up Skyline. If you're from Portland, you know exactly what I mean. <laughs> and just tons of different experiences um, that really made me stand on my own. I became extremely independent. I learned how to manage my money better. Um, I learned what I needed to take care of myself. And honestly, like the beautiful thing about being single, and it was fortunate that I only had my own place. Um, the beautiful thing is really just the fact that you get to learn how to do everything that you need to live on your own. And that might sound kind of like obvious, but... <laughs> A lot of people never get to experience like not having somebody else there to kind of like take over other responsibilities or things like that. And when you have to do all of those responsibilities and all of those different things on your own, it's so different. And you get to kind of also learn how to like self-soothe in a way where like you understand how to manage your own emotions when you get space to process them on your own. So like you come home from work and it's just you, you know, um, I don't know. It was a really great experience for changing my perspective on my own life, what I really wanted, um, various relationships I was in after that. And just having the space to like be alone with myself was profound. So I highly recommend that, especially if you're in a position where either you're in a toxic relationship you need to get out of, or you uh, are in a scenario where you're not sure where you're going to go for your next kind of chapter in life and you're single and you just need some time to kind of just do your own thing. I say, take the time to do your thing, get to know yourself, name your demons, like, and make sure that you kind of move away from it and this, or like, let it go and cleanse. Because through all of these moments, like including this long-term relationship that ended and all these different moves and um, humbling experiences, 
starting from the bottom again, um, all these different moments reinforce the fact that no matter where you go in life and what you choose to do, the only person you ever have to worry about caring about what you do is yourself. Because we walk into life by ourselves, we're going to walk out of life by ourselves. And if you're not okay with being by yourself and understanding your own thoughts, the way you think, the things that hold you back, the things that lift you up, the things that bring you joy, if you don't understand those things at some point in your younger life or any point in your life, I guess, it's going to be really disappointing for you to miss out on this beautiful relationship with yourself that could completely change how you experience this experience in life. And you might find that you might just be living your life for other people too much, you know? And so I really hope that if you're listening still, you get to a point where you can be okay with being alone, be okay with sitting in a restaurant eating by yourself, you know, all these things that are really uncomfy, especially societally, and get comfy with it because it's going to change your life for the better. All right, so as we come to the end of this episode, I just want to remind you that for one thing, you're not alone. Whatever struggles you're facing, know that all the strength you wish for, you already possess. You just have to step into that discomfort with the reassurance that you will be okay and everything will work out as it's supposed to. If you haven't already, I challenge you to take the risk that you've been kind of thinking about maybe in the back of your head while listening to this podcast or at any point in the last several months. If you keep thinking of something that excites you but scares you in like a healthy way, I challenge you to go take that risk. Maybe you need to actually use your sick or vacation days. Please go use them. Please go enjoy yourself. Go see something new. Go do something crazy. You know what I mean? Um, Or maybe it's time you get off social media and like for a serious chunk and reconnect with yourself for once. But whatever you do, I urge you to not fear growth and don't fear the choices that you know deep down are going to support your best life just for those tiny fleeting moments of comfort. I wish I could go on and on about more moments in my life that I reflect fondly upon, but for now, I'm just gonna keep it right here because we're about, we're just right about an hour and that's perfect. I hope this episode has shown you the power of resilience and the importance of passion in our lives. And let's continue to lift each other up, to listen with empathy and kindness, and to never forget the strength that comes from facing our challenges with an open heart. If this episode inspired you, please share or review. It means the world to us, your support and feedback. Thank you for being a rebel. And until next time, take care of yourselves and step into this growth season with some new strength. I'll catch you next Sunday on another episode of Rebel Wellness. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of Rebel Wellness. If you loved what you heard and you are ready to take your wellness journey to the next level, follow me on Instagram at Coach by Kales for daily nuggets of health and fitness wisdom. We release new episodes weekly on Sundays, so be sure to click that subscribe button so you never miss an update. As always, lean into your strength, walk with confidence, and celebrate your nourishment. We'll catch you next Sunday on Rebel Wellness.